Hey everybody, welcome to the newly revamped Line Drive Baseball Podcast. Um, what a day, Joe, along with the player, Benny Scala. And we are formerly known as the Twin Bill Baseball Podcast, but, you know, we're trying to change it up here, get some new viewers and all that stuff. So, so what do you think of the new stuff there, uh, Betty? Huh? Line drive, good enough? A line drive is a home run. I, I tell you what, though, I mean, what a scary thing as a pitcher. You're throwing the ball up there at 99 miles an hour. And a lot of these guys nowadays, you know, sure. back in the day, we you know, in Little League, we were taught that you had to land uh, on your, you know, on your, on your leading foot. Right. And be ready for that ball. A lot of these guys kind of just swing their foot across, you know, the other leg, right. and they're really not in position to feel the ball. And like, you know, you, you're throwing the ball up at, you're throwing the ball into the, to the plate at 99, but yep. the exit speed of of a hit is oh, yeah. can be up to like 120. Right. Imagine 120 mile like the first graphic you know that you showed. Yeah, Charlie right Huff. I mean, Charlie how much Huff. time you had to? Re- yeah, how much time you got to react? Yeah, that was that was a tough. That was a tough. You got carted off the field. But I mean. You could Google and YouTube all those, and there's just hundreds of them. And uh, it's, it's amazing some of these people that survived. Right. Uh, these comeback, you know, comebackers, as we used to call them. But these are line drive shots, man. So, But we are off and running. And today we are talking about the best and worst trades. Well, let's talk. Uh, this really isn't a trade. We're going to talk about kicking off the show. But we're going to talk about Shohei Otani signing that outrageous outrageous contract. Benny, what are your thoughts on that contract? Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of tiff on social media, the big, it's not so much even that, that the, the size of the contract, the, this, you know, 10 years, 70 million bucks. It's yeah. that he's only taking 2 million a year and he's deferring 680 million. And right. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm an accountant by trade. I don't even know how that's going to work. I mean, I don't know if he's going to take it like then, 68 million a year over the next 10 years, but right. I mean, the, the guy's not going to starve. He's, he, I think he, he generates between 40 and $50 million a year. Yeah. And I think that unique, play. that unique contract was all based upon, you know, so they can keep guys like Mookie Betts and the other big uh, players there that they need to, you know, hopefully try to get back to the world series, but that's just an astronomical number. And of course he's going to be paid. He'll be paid from the Dodgers 2034 to 2043 is when all that deferred money kicks back to him. I guess, you know, is this going to set a precedent? Because, you know, obviously the reason why they're doing this is to avoid the luxury tax. Sure. No, Uh, there is no salary cap in baseball, but, uh, you know, all the NFL teams have a have a capologist because, you know, I mean, at some point this money is going to become part of the, you know, part of the payroll. Right. So how do they how do they work this? That's this is a whole new whole new ballgame. Yeah, it's a whole new thing now. I mean, I, I don't know if there's any money's guaranteed on there. I just don't get it. I mean, I, I think the whole thing's guaranteed. Well, here's the funny part. He doesn't have to move far, right? He went from <laughs> the right. Angels to the Dodgers. Uh, unbelievable, you know. So uh, obviously they're going to be uh, lined right up there to obviously produce right away with a guy like Otani on the mound and playing whatever. I mean, the guy does it all. If there's right. anybody who deserves $700 million, this guy does it all. So. Uh- I guess what really upset me is there was a lot, of, and I got into. I promised myself that I, I, I limit myself to one Facebook argument a day with a fool, <laughs> and I usually reach that by seven a.m. Yeah, and oh, I don't the last you. couple of days it was the argument that I entered into was that Otani is better than Babe Ruth. Oh, jeez, and oh, uh, you know, I mean, that's and the, the argument is, well, Babe couldn't hit a Babe never faced a ninety mile an hour fastball. Sure, but, I mean. Sure. You can't use that argument because then you, if, if you want to, I mean, you'd have to 
take that argument and apply to any like Ty Cobb, yep. uh, you know, any of the great ball players. Yeah. I mean, things were different a hundred years ago. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, you have, to me, you have to take every player in context with their, their counterparts. Sure. Babe Ruth exactly. dominated the game of baseball. Like nobody ever did. No, exactly. So, well, only time will tell. I mean, I, I don't know if there's an injury clause in that contract or anything, but nonetheless, there's a new highest paid ball player in town, and his name is Shohei Otani. Unbelievable. All right, so first up, we got here, Curse of the Bambino. This is uh, another, not a trade, but more or less a purchase. Hey, why don't you uh, do the background on this? I have a graphic afterwards, too. So All right, yeah. yeah. Right so ahead. this was January 5th, 1920. Uh, the Boston Red Sox owner, Harry, I guess it's Frazy. I believe yeah, it's Frazy. Yeah, yeah, told uh, George Herm- Herman Ruth, a.k.a. Yeah. the Babe, to the New York Yankees, for the like at the time astronomical sum of one hundred twenty five thousand dollars, that's like meal money now. Yeah, and no, uh, no. so Frazee was also a theatrical producer, and reportedly this this not really for sure, but needed the money to finance the play No No Nanette. But you know, as it turned out, it was No No Boston because the yeah. uh, the Red Sox didn't win the World Series again until uh, two thousand four. Uh, hence the expression curse of the Bambino. But the interesting thing, Joe, is that, and this is the thing that people don't talk about, right? They won the world series. They did win this series in 15, 16 and 18. So they were a pretty decent team at that time. Yeah, they were, they were, uh, they were considered what, almost like the New York Yankees of that era because nobody had won it like that. Now, an interesting fact for me growing up, um, I'm going to show you this quick graphic here and this used to hang on Fenway, 9418. Those are four retired ball players, Red Sox ball players, Ted Williams, Joe Cronin, Bobby Doerr, and Kyle Ustremski. Uh, the numbers originally hung on the right field facade over the um, order, which they were retired, 9418. And it was pointed out that 9418 was the actual day before the start of the 1980 wor- 1918 World Series in which wow. the Red Sox won. So somebody in the late 90s decided – you know, they got to rearrange these things and start retiring more numbers because they kind of thought that was part of the curse of the Bambino, too. You know what I mean? So uh, so they started adding Carlton Fisk and move on. Of course, Jackie Robinson's numbers retired all over the place. So uh, nonetheless, 94818 stood for the test of time until the 90s. And we all know what happened in 2004 and that that the actual real curse of the Bambino was broken there. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, so let's move along here. So you got something here. John Smoltz, 87, uh, from the Tigers to the Braves for Doyle Alexander. Why don't you explain this one a little bit? Yeah, so (laughs) – and a lot of these trades, we're going to – I mean – I say best and worst trades. If, if it's really a lopsided sided trade, it's it's both a it's a, the best oh, yeah. trade for the team that that acquired the the the, the great, but it's the worst for the other team. Yeah. Uh, but Smoltz versus uh, for Doyle Alexander. So obviously Smoltz he pitches twenty seasons for the Braves, oh, wins yeah. two hundred nine games, saves one hundred fifty four more, won the Cy Young in ninety six, yeah. led the the world uh, the Braves to the nineteen ninety World Series, um, Cooperstown. Uh, how many division right. titles did they win? And now Alexander, I think, if memory serves me correctly, he did win, I think, 194 games. So the guy wasn't a slouch, but he played three seasons for the Tigers, yeah. was uh, 29 and 29. You know, d- definitely advantage Braves. Yeah, when you look at comparison factor, I mean, we talk about best and worst trades. I mean, obviously, someone's going to benefit and somebody's not going to benefit. I've never seen any trades that really worked out 100%, you know, mano y mano, as they used to say, but um, – I wonder what the reasoning behind this one. We're going back to 87 now, before the caps and all that stuff, before the mega money was coming into play here. 
Do you think this is just a, a guy like Doyle Alexander couldn't fit in with the uh, with the Braves system? Uh, it could have been that. I mean, the, yeah. the guy, if you look at his record, I think he pitched for nine different teams. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, he, he, had, he yeah. bounced around. He, I mean, and typically when that happens, I mean, there's got to be some reasons behind it. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, you yeah. know, Smoltz okay. was a uh, – I, I don't know what where he was drafted, but, I mean, the Tigers thought he was expendable enough to uh, – to throw him to the Braves and that, you know, the Braves, that's kind of when they started their run, I believe. Yeah. He was part of another uh, rotation that had another uh, Massachusetts native uh, with uh, Tom Glavin from right. Rooker, Mass. He was part one of that, of the, yeah, that one Atlanta of the dynasty there in the nineties. Correct. Yeah. You got the, I mean, imagine that you got Smoltz, yeah. uh, Maddox and Glavin, like uh, back to back to back. They were dominant. I even oh, watched geez. them. My grandmother watched them because she was a Braves fan, Boston Braves fan growing up. And until she hit her hundreds, she's like, what channel are the Braves on, Joey? What channel are the Braves on? And I said, TBS, like always. <laughs> I, I would argue that that's – I think the greatest rotation of all time was the 1971 Orioles that had 420-game winners. Oh, wow. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we talked about that. But, but this was really close. I mean, yeah. you had Steve Avery was the fourth starter. Oh, yeah. He was a pretty decent pitcher. Then he developed arm problems pretty, uh, pretty early in his career. But, I mean, what a great rotation. But, Joe, I did sneak another trade in here before. before oh, the go ahead. I'm trade, sorry. Which, yeah, no, it's fine. And, and, actually, this is one of my favorite trades of all time. I don't know how I forgot it. I, I remembered it working out at the gym this morning. So, <laughs> um, on uh, um, December 11th, 1959, oh, wow. uh, the Kansas City Athletics traded Joe DeMastry, Kent Hadley, and some guy named Roger Maris. Oh, to the New York Yankees in, oh. in exchange for Hank Bauer, yeah. Norm Seaburn, Don Larson, and marvelous Marv Throneberry. Wow. So, I mean, you talk about a one-sided trade. Larson went – and Larson had he, – he gained fame uh, by throwing the perfect game in the 1956 World yep. Series, the only perfect game in World Series history. But wow. uh, went – played two seasons for the A's, got, went 2-10 and 10, yep. and 25-32 and 32 for the rest of his career. Don Larson, if you look at his career, the only time he was a winning pitcher – was when he when he played for the Yankees. Oh wow! But um, Bauer puts up uh, plays two seasons for the A's. Okay, puts up, uh, six homers, forty nine ribbies, two seventy one average. Retires after the sixty one season. Norm Seaburn was not a uh, bad ball player. He uh, had a, a nineteen sixty two was a uh, twenty five homers, one seventeen ribbies, and a three oh eight season total. Hit seventy eight home runs, three sixty seven ribbies, two eighty nine. Oh wow! Not 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 bad and. Uh, yeah. And then Marvelous Marv Throneberry is known for playing on the 1962 Mets. And I don't, might might be before your time, Joe. He was a in little some bit. of the light, light beer commercials. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and yep. he still he never knew why he was there. Yeah. Well, but now let, let's take the flip side. So yeah. Joe DeMaestri, uh, he was – I think he – Joe, wasn't he the lead singer on the uh, the Brooklyn Bridge? <laughs> no, that was, uh, that was Johnny Maestro. Johnny Maestro. There Johnny you Maestro, go. yeah, 16 Candles. Uh, oh, there you um, go, that was, yeah. That was actually before the Brooklyn Bridge. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and then you got Kent Hadley, who must have played pretty badly because we I never heard of it. Yeah, uh, I and never then heard. Jeez, Maris, Maris led the Yankees to five AL pennants, two World Series in seven years, uh, won two MVPs. Of course, he set the Major League home run record at sixty-one and sixty-one, and yeah. won a Gold Glove in right field to boot. Then he gets wow. traded uh, to the St. Louis Cardinals. He plays there in sixty-seven, sixty-eight. They win two pennants. They won the the, the series in sixty-seven. Against wow. your beloved Red Sox, right? And yeah, um, and then yeah. he retires at the end of the 1968 season. So um, his last nine years, seven pennants and three World Series. Unbelievable. Very Unbelievable. underappreciated ball player. Yeah. Uh, he, he, 
had a very short career, well, relatively short career, retired fairly right. early, had a, a chronic injury at the end of his career with his hand. But yeah. I mean, by all accounts, I mean, an absolutely marvelous ball player. And, right. uh, it, you know, the, the, the home run chase between him and Mantle in 61 was like, that was, that was baseball gold. Yep. Uh, all right. So 64 Lou Brock. I didn't know he was traded to the Cardinals. Yes. From Chicago to St. Louis for Ernie Brolio. Is that how Brolio? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you got to note here. He was no slouch throwing 18 shutouts over his career and going 21 and nine in 1960. Very impressive. Right. Brock finished his career with over 3000 hits, 938 stolen bases, two world series championships, obviously a ticket to Cooperstown. Brolio was 7-19 with a 5.40 ERA over three seasons with the Cubs before retiring in 1966. Pretty lopsided deal there. Um, Lou Brock, I mean, he's synonymous with with all that base stealing and all that stuff from what I remember. Um, but Ernie Brolio couldn't even tell you who he was. Yeah. That's he was, again, reason. you know, a lot of these, a lot of these trades, especially with these pitchers. Sure. Uh, solid pitchers. I mean, Brolio had, like I said, you know, uh, two seasons before, three seasons before, right? Won twenty-one games, and he threw, like I said, he threw eighteen shuts out, shutouts over his career, which is probably more than any active pitcher has. Um, exactly. And Bro- Brock at the time was an, uh, he was just a prospect. He really wasn't a proven entity. But wow. I mean, look, look what happened. So moving up the ladder here, uh, ninety-seven. You got Derek Lowe and Jason Veritek from Seattle to Boston for a guy that I used to like for the Red Sox until they traded Heathcliff. Slocum, that's a pitcher's name if I ever heard one right there. Oh, yeah. Heathcliff Slocum. Um, some background on this. Derek Lowe um, and Jason Veritek, obviously, they were in very, you know, they had great careers with Boston. I think it took Derek Lowe a while to warm up in Boston because he really didn't have his best seasons until later on. But Jason Veritek, it's, it's you know, it was not, it was reported. He came to camp overweight. He, they They nicknamed him the fat catcher. And, you know, he kind of took that and took it to another level. He was kind of big boned, so to speak, but the guy could hit and the guy called his own games. Um, Veritek was very uh, instrumental in the 2000, you know, obviously they went to, they were in the division series in 99. Um, and of course, 2003, they went all the way to the ALCS until they dropped the last game of uh, the game seven to the Yankees. But, you know, Jason Veritek's now in the Red Sox Hall of Fame. I think he's a Hall of Fame catcher. There's no doubt about it. Um, but since Veritek has left, no Red Sox catcher has called the games like a catcher should. Um, they, all the all the signs now go from the dugout to the catcher. So I think, uh, obviously, that's a no-brainer, right? Seattle got the short end of the stick on that one? Oh, yeah. Well, what, I, yeah, I, I vaguely remember Heathcliff Slocum, but not not very well. The other I, don't even, I, don't, I don't remember him even being a starter. I do believe he was a reliever. Uh, he, he, was. Point. Yes, he was, yes, he was. And I don't think he was even a closer. Yeah. And uh, Derek Lowe, um, he was uh, he actually lived in the town that I lived in growing up in Quincy. Um, he was always out and about. He was very um, you could say he was very approachable. He was a nice guy. He still get grants interviews and stuff like that. So maybe yeah. we'll try and get him on the line drive podcast. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> All right. You got the next one. 1982 Ryan Sandberg. Larry oh, Boa. Yeah, Ryan Sandberg and Larry Boa get traded from the, the Philadelphia Phillies to the Chicago Cubs for wow. Yvonne De Jesus. De Jesus. Um, Sandberg would win nine gold gloves, the 1984 MVP, and another, you know, his, his ticket to Cooperstown. Yeah. And Ivan would, or Yvonne would play three seasons for the Phillies with a seven, 
139 and 249 batting average. You know, Boa kind of was, a, I think, a throw-in. And yeah. Boa was a great shortstop in his prime. But oh, yeah, I, 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 I remember seeing him, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but we're talking like he's probably at this point, like almost 15 years into his career and kind of playing out the string. But I mean, great shortstop. I want to I think he won several gold gloves. Right. We're going back to 82 now. Not big money ball players we're talking about here. So you got to wonder, was it a um, personality thing, a talent issue? They don't want to play in Philly. They don't want to play in Chicago type thing. You know, is it one of those types of deals? You always try to wonder what prompts these crazy trades. Uh, stuff like this, because, you know, what if these trades never happened? We wouldn't be talking about these. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, and a lot of times it's, it's a, an unproven commodity. Uh, like again, Sandberg with Philly. I mean, I think he played like a part of a season. So yeah. he was an unknown, like, like Lou Brock was in Chicago and uh, you know, they, they gambled that the Jesus was a, a decent ball player, yep. but I don't know. I mean, you wonder what I would love once in my life to be on the phone, just like monitoring one of these trades between two, two baseball general oh, yeah. managers, just to, to hear the back and forth. Well, you know, it's, when it's they, like when that they, scene in Moneyball where Brad Pitt just got everybody on a conference call. Hold, please hold, do this, that we want a soda machine in the locker room, things like that. You know what I right. mean? It, it might come down to that. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. 1965. You got this one, Frank Robinson. Oh, this is one of the most lopsided trades ever. So in 1960, at the end of 65, it was winter of 65, uh, okay. Frank Robinson, uh, former Cincinnati Reds MVP, was traded to the Baltimore Orioles for Milt Pappas, uh, relief pitcher Jack Balchin, I think his name is pronounced, oh, and wow. Dick Simpson. Who? I mean, Robinson, Robinson, yeah, Dick Simpson. I, I, there was a suitcase Simpson, but I don't think this was suitcase <laughs> Simpson. I think that was Harry Simpson. But, okay. I mean... Dick Simpson might have been, you know, I mean, geez, what a first name. But, yeah, um, yeah so Robinson wins the 66 triple triple crown, wow. 66 MVP, Orioles win the World Series over the Dodgers. And Robinson would lead the Orioles to four AL pennants wow. and two World Series over the next uh, six seasons. And Pappas played three seasons with the Reds and was uh, 30 and 29. And, again, another, I think he, I think he won 209 games. Um, yeah. Over, over and now I do have a look. Supposedly the 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 um from from Cincinnati right the, the, was the the dialogue was that Robinson was past his prime he was washed up right and yep. that's why they traded him I think he was maybe thirty two he was it wasn't okay. that it wasn't that old okay but he had arguably I mean it's, it's funny how he won that first triple crown one the previous one I think was Mantle. I think in 56 or 57. Okay. And, and then ironically, Yaz won it the next year, right? Yep. I do believe so. 67. Yep. Yeah. Yaz did triple crown. Yep. But yeah, I mean, you talk about Robinson, uh, the Reds, the Reds went nowhere. I mean, their time would come a few years later with the big red machine, but right. You know, Pappas was already long gone. He, I think he bounced around with a couple other teams after that, but you know, definitely advantage and Balshin and Simpson. I, 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 couldn't even tell you. I mean, as as ardent of a baseball fan as I am, I mean, right. I probably had their baseball cards at one time, but yep, I probably traded them for a you know piece of gum or something like that. No kidding. Well, the next one I I remember very well, 1990, Jeff Bagwell. Who's that, right? Traded from the Red Sox to the Houston Astros for reliever Larry Anderson. Who's that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Who that? Bagwell will win Rookie of the Year, MVP '94, clouded 449 homers for the Astros. 
landing him a spot in Cooperstown. I remember this trade like it was yesterday. We were like, why, why, why? And I think that's what got Lou Gorman shipped out of town. And I think the process of selling the Red Sox was well underway at that point um, because this was probably, you know, the most most lopsided one I could see for a while for the Red Sox. Now, Joe, though, um, I don't think – Bagwell never played a game for the Red Sox, right? So, I mean, but he – I'm assuming he – again, same he was thing, in, he highly was, regarded uh, prospect. He was in the minors. Right. He was in the minors. And I do believe he made – I want to say he made it one or two appearances, but he was heavily hyped. Heavily hyped. Okay, again, you know, Boston a hot media. prospect. And it, it, t- it takes a lot for the Boston media to get heavily hyped. So, um, I just remember we had a sportscaster here called um, Bob LaBelle. And he would always mention people that used to play for Boston sports teams when they would go on to make, you know, the big time. He'd be like, why can't we get players like that? And they still reference the Jeff Bagwell trade. Why can't we get players like that? But, so, I mean, I had, I, I'm trying to, I, this one really stumped me because I, I figured Bagwell had to be a hot prospect. Uh, what were the Red Sox thinking? Because Anderson was, I mean, he had, I think he had pitched for about 13 years. Yeah, he was an older guy. I remember that. Right. Yeah. But I mean, he, nothing. I mean, I think he had 29 saves in his career. I mean, yep. not, not somebody that I would see trading, you know, a hot prospect for. Yeah. And I think that's what uh, I think it was. I think there was an argument between Lou Gorman and then general, Ma- uh, he was a GM and then manager Joe Morgan uh, that caused a big thing with this too. Even though, like you said, he never was a, a, an official Red Sox main roster player, but there was a lot of hype behind this guy back in Boston. So. so so the GM got ditched after this one? It was shortly after that. Okay. I think around this time, the Yockeys um, were tr- planning on selling the team. Um, it's before, almost on the cusp of um, when Larry Lucchino and all those guys, uh, had John Henry and all them were coming in. So it was kind of on the cusp of that. But this is the time. It, these are the the days that I just couldn't stand the Red Sox when they were acting like this. Uh, I was like, why, why are you making these deals or non-deals, I should say. So Honestly, I think of all these trades that we're going to talk about, uh, to me, yeah. this one is the most lopsided. Yeah, I would say. Now, the we'll call it a trade, but this is the 2020 Dodgers, obviously Mookie Betts, greatest player for the Red Sox in quite some time. Uh, David Price and Brewster Gratterall on a three-way trade with the Red Sox and Twins. Now, I remember this because this was on the cusp of COVID. This happened in the offseason. Newly hired Sox GM Hein Bloom was tasked at reducing the Red Sox luxury tax payroll. Of course, there's no cap, but there's that. So for the record, Betts did not want to leave Boston, but however, we all know greener pastures proved otherwise. But So in return, the Red Sox got Alex Verdugo, recently traded to the Yankees last week. Uh, we got shortstop Jeter Downs, who's now at the Nationals. And then I had to figure this one out. We got catcher Connor Wong from the Dodgers. I think he just finally got called up to the Red Sox. Okay. I mean, literally in the last year or two after this trip. We're going back to 2020, right? Here it is, 23. And I think he only played like 59 games this year for the Red Sox. So right. uh, I don't care who you got in return and all that stuff, but Mookie Betts. Yeah. Uh, I, unbelievable. And David Price was the hero. Uh, in 2018, um, he he was like on a redemption tour. We had gotten him. He had a crazy weird season. He was actually hurt a little bit. And there was a lot of hype around him. He was making a lot of money. And finally, he put his money where his mouth was. And I think he pitched on like one or two days rest during the World Series back in 2018, ironically against the Dodgers. Um, so uh, he, he kind of saved himself. But come 2019 season, he was back on the DL. And 
he was kind of um, shortened seasons and all that stuff. So whoever they were trading, he was a no-brainer to go along with it because it was going to un- unload some money, but no one expected the Mookie Betts trade. And another interesting thing on this one, when COVID hit and every, all the rules changed and all that stuff, there was an article uh, from the Atlantic uh, Weekly that actually said that during COVID, um, certain trades could have been nullified because of the fact that teams were preparing nobody in attendance. Um, some teams weren't even being broadcasted. Some teams weren't even allowed to have people in the ballpark, that stuff. So they were flirting with the idea of any offseason trades in 2020 could be null and void. And they're not, you know, didn't take long for that article to come out and make the circulation in the Boston media that, hey, Mookie Betts might not be gone after all, but nonetheless, he did uh, take off. Yeah. So uh, that was a sad day. I loved Mookie Betts. He was instrumental in the 2018 World Series. Uh, he was a great ball player. I mean, he was an all-around ball player. He could hit, he could run, he could steal. He could uh, obviously play center field. He was awesome. So um, that was a scratching our head off season. This is, don't forget now, this is the year 2020 that Tom Brady, our beloved New England quarterback, decided to leave. Right. <laughs> you know, retire. But then obviously we know what happened at that. He went to Tampa Bay, but that was a bad, we didn't like that COVID year. And, yeah. and I'll tell you another thing on, want to go one more sport down the road, the Boston Bruins, they were on the verge of winning the president's trophy. They had the best record in hockey until the season got suspended with like, I want to say they had like two or three months left and they didn't pick up the regular season until the summertime. And obviously they were ousted early, but they were favored to win it. And the goaltenders won the Vezina trophies and all that okay. stuff. So 2020 across the board and all sports in Boston could have been, you know, it was a nightmare year off season wise. It was a, a very forgettable year period for oh, sports, yeah. I, I think. Yep, with the COVID, everything. It was just, I mean, do you remember them playing with nobody in the attendance? It was, like, stupid. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, and then they somebody got smart and started to pipe in sound crowd, even for the players, because the players couldn't get motivated because they weren't playing in front of anybody. Right. You, <laughs> you know? Taking batting practice. Unbelievable. All right, moving on. 1971, you got this one. Yeah. And uh, so in 1971, Nolan Ryan, Don Rose, Leroy Stanton, and uh, Francisco Estrada are <laughs> traded from the New York Mets to the Cal- California Angels for Jim Fergosi. I don't know. This might rival the uh, the Bagwell trade in terms of lopsidedness. So Fergosi wow. played a season and a half for the Mets, hit a whopping 233 with five homers and 43 ribbies. Wow. While Nolan Ryan pitched for 26 seasons. <laughs> In um, route to his Hall of Fame induction, Ryan won just for the Angels over the eight seasons, won 138 games uh, with a 3.07 ERA, but he averaged 302 strikeouts per season. Now, the Angels weren't a very light hitting team. He lost a right. lot of one nothing and two to one games. Sure. So even though he, I think he averaged maybe 16 wins a, a season. Uh, I remember one season he was like eight and 16. Right. And his ERA, I think, was under three. He just didn't get the run support. And um, yeah. that's something that, you know, now we, we really take, pay a lot of attention to. We, 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 we don't necessarily look at the win-loss. Win we look at the, you know, we look at the, the whip, you right. know, and we look at the ERA and things sure. like that, you know, hits per nine innings. But, yeah, I mean, he, he, was, a, he, was, he was a stud. Yeah. Even Stanton, the, the throw-in, right. hit, hit 47 homers, 242 ribbies in five seasons. So even the throw-in hit. It did better than Fergosi did. Uh, Don Rose, uh, Rose by any other name, would still be Don Rose. <laughs> I think he won one game in the major leagues. And uh, Francisco Estrada, I think he sold programs at uh, Anaheim Stadium. And we're talking guys like Maris and Ryan and all that. It, it, they're the ones getting traded to the teams that all of a sudden they become the household name. It's, right. it, it just it, it shocks me that 
you know, there's not that one-on-one trade, that one-off. Like, yeah, here you go. You know, they call these trades blockbuster trades. Blockbuster for who? For the right. headlines? For the people reading it? What? Like, because this is another no-brainer. Like, why would you trade Nolan Ryan? Period. I, I got to tell you a quick Nolan Ryan story, though. Sure. I actually saw Ryan. I was in the fifth grade. I saw him at Chase Stadium in his rookie season, 1966. Yeah. He and he didn't pitch much for the Mets in '66. He was just he was a late season call up. But sure. uh, that's when my uh, my dad was a, uh, a service manager for a Chevy dealership, and his one of his customers was the uh, the PR director for the Mets. Oh, okay. So yeah, so we could pretty much sit in the press box whenever we wanted. Now my dad wasn't a baseball fan, but he was a good dad, and he knew that how much I loved the game. Sure. So he would take me all the time, and I yeah I got mm-hmm. to see Ryan at the, uh, his, the he was wilder than anything. <laughs> he just he couldn't get the, I mean through like bullets, but can you couldn't get the ball over the plate? Fast forward to yeah. 1993, which I think was his last season, right? And now, uh, so I was in the fifth grade. My oldest son was in the fifth grade. Oh wow! I was living in Blue Springs, Missouri, which is about ten miles from, uh, uh, I guess it's called Kauffman Stadium now. Okay, yeah, it was called yep. Royal Stadium then. I, I I always just think of Arrowhead Stadium. It's it's the stadium next to Arrowhead. Um, <laughs> But my, I took my son to see Ryan when he was with the Rangers. I mean, you're talking about like a whole generation. That That's an amazing. And, I mean, he was striking out 300 guys in his early 40s. Oh, wow. So that's a guy that no doubt got better with age. He, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he pitched. You know, people say, well, he's, you know, he was a 500 pitcher. I mean, his, his career, I think he's like, he won 324 games. I might be off wow. by one or so. Yeah. And he, he lost in the, you know, the high twos. Um, so his winning percentage isn't that high, but his ERA is is great. His yep. whip is great. Although his whip is a little bit, you know, in the beginning he was walking a lot of guys. Of course, sure. I mean, he he, he I think one season he walked two hundred and two guys. Wow! But then he struck out three hundred and eighty three. So my goodness, yeah. Just I mean, he was like a he was like Dave Kingman. Either you know Kingman either struck out or hit one yep. nine hundred feet. You know Ryan either walked you or struck you out, but. What a, I mean, this, this is a blockbuster trade, but yeah, I think the Mets were regretting this one. What's so appealing to me is that somebody went to New York and the others went to California. It's that, that's a cross country deal right there. Right. You and I think Ryan it. didn't, at first, Ryan did not want to go to, uh, to California. Oh, really? But, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I guess he, you know, I mean, eventually he found his place with the Astros and the Rangers. I mean, he's a Texas guy. So exactly. Exactly. All right. 66. We got Fergie Jenkins. Tell us about this one. Yeah, this is, an, uh, this is another fairly, uh, you know, one-sided trade. So Ferguson Jenkins uh, is traded from the Phillies yeah. along with Adolfo Phillips and John Hernstein to the Chicago Cubs for another couple of pitchers, uh, Larry Jackson and Bob Buell, both solid pitchers. Yeah. But um, they would win a combined total of uh, 47 games for the Phillies. Yeah. Jenkins would win 160 games, 67 games for the Cubs, wow. and, including six. This, this is a, a – a, you know, a great stat, six consecutive 21 seasons wow. and, and, and a Cy Young award. And he, you know, rightfully inducted into the baseball hall of fame, yep. you know, again, same thing, you know, you know, they, the Cubs, I guess wanted, uh, or the Phillies uh, wanted solid pitchers. Somebody want, yeah, they were, yeah, and, yeah. and they were, they were willing to give away Jenkins, I think pitched. Uh, I'm I'm really stretching my memory here. I, he, he had a one half season with the, the Phillies. I think he was like six and eight. Right. So again, another prospect. That, but uh, I think Fergie you know, Jenkins did his last stint with the Red Sox, if I'm not mistaken. He did. Yeah, he went from yeah. uh, 
He went from the Cubs. I think he went stopped with the pitch for the Texas Rangers. Yeah, something. I remember one of my one of my first programs. I had him in there. I was like, wow. Yeah. And I, was and I think kid, he so. actually won twenty five games one season for the Rangers as well. Wow. And so then he, he had yeah. and he wound up with the Red Sox. But another great wow. pitcher. I mean, the guy the guy went out every fourth day. Six you consecutive know. twenty win seasons. Right. Unbelievable. That will will that ever be done again? No way. Yeah, that, that, that's great. It's 120 wins for a ball club in six yeah. years, in six seasons. And, and the Cubs weren't lighting the world on fire. I mean, yeah, no, it, it, no. they had a couple of no. good seasons then. But I mean, you're talking about Chicago Cubs. Yeah, but still, that's he. You put the butts in the seats. I bet. <laughs> you look him up on uh, BaseballReference.com. Look yeah. at his. I mean, you talk about consistency. I mean, guy. When I, I mean, I don't think he missed a start in those six seasons. We probably couldn't miss too many. You're not going to win 20 games, but right. Forty, you know, 40 starts a year. Because they pitched every fourth day, not every fifth day. Yep, exactly. You know, right through uh, 25 to 30 complete games. I mean, he's got a buttload of shutouts, complete games. Um, yeah, what, what would impress me, I, I don't know if they had it back then. I'm, I'm assuming they did not, but pitch counts. Like, you wonder how many pitches they threw a game. You know what I mean? Some, I, You know, I don't know if teams were counting them back then, but I don't I don't think they were. No, well, I'm, I saw there must have been probably something, but I, I saw a graphic on Facebook that going back to Nolan Ryan, yeah. that he threw a complete game. It was a 238 pitch game and uh, 238 pitch, which is like two, two and a half outings for the normal You're pitcher kidding. now. That's incredible. And, and then four, four uh, days later, went out and threw another complete game. Yeah. Oh my God! That and, is, and that makes you—that's my struggle as, as far as a baseball fan. Where, you know, you have these guys like a Jenkins went yep. out, a Seaver, a Bob Gibson, a Juan Marichal, a Jim Palmer. You know, yeah. these guys went out every fourth day. You know, through complete games routinely, yep. rarely got injured. Right? You right. know, season after season after season, where you got these guys now. They, they, they barely can. I mean, if they make it into the sixth inning, I mean, it's, it's, it's glorious. Sure. You know, you got guys pitching maybe two or three complete games a year, maybe. And, uh, but they're always, and they're always getting hurt and they're throwing 32 games a year. They, they, most guys don't even reach. Uh, I think maybe three or four guys hit 200 innings right. this year, and, but they're always hurt. It's like, what happened? What, yeah. how, how did they get so soft? No, I don't, I don't, I, I hear you. I just, it would blows my mind is six consecutive 21 seasons that even on paper, that looks intimidating. Like, yeah. wow. Just, unbelievable. You just put the ball in his locker. I mean, if I'm the manager, it's okay. We won this one. Wow. So here we go. 1969 New York Mets trade young outfielder, Amos Otis, along with a utility infielder named Bob Johnson to the Casey Royals for third baseman, Joe Foy. Now, Otis would patrol center field for the Royals for the next 14 seasons, winning three gold gloves, five all-star nominations, while Foy would play 99 games for the Mets in 1970, compiling a sizzling, uh, what do we got? Six, Six homers, homers 37 ribbies, yeah. ribbies, 236 line, playing one more season with the, the illustrious Washington Senators back then in 71 before retiring at the age of 28. Okay, who was the GM then, and who thought this was going to be uh, <laughs> a one-up? Yeah unbelievable yeah. it, it really makes you scratch your head like what were these people thinking and, and again same thing otis was uh you know otis was a prospect yeah. uh played you know played a little bit with the mets foy was i yeah. think foy was the played for the red sox for a bit oh uh, i think so, yeah, yeah. i think foy playing. was the in fact yeah. i think he played several seasons as their third yeah. baseman you know yep. de decent ball player but you, you you never know you never you know never, 
and we talk about these trades back then. Obviously, money wasn't like the astronomical issue no. like it is today. No, but not at all. Is it personality? Is it um, people don't want to play for a certain manager? Do teammates not get along? I've always wondered what are the dynamics back then that would warrant these trades? Because you watch the old movies and stuff. You read the old articles. And there were some players and coaches who just did not get along and they wanted to be out of town. And you wonder if this is one of those deals. You, you know? And you know, you know, I mean, we're not privy to it, but you know that a lot of those things were part of the dynamic. It had yeah. to be that, you know, the, be. the guy was a clubhouse cancer or, you know, him and yeah. the manager didn't get along or he just didn't like living in, you know, wherever. I mean, yeah. he wanted to move closer to his home. But it's yeah. ironic that there was a guy named Johnson and a guy named Dick in these <laughs> trades. Just then you wonder. Then you wonder if it's other, you know, extracurricular activities that these guys were involved with. Yeah, maybe, maybe the, you know, guys like out the, of town. the old sailor in every port, you know, kind yeah, of thing. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, right. uh, Mickey exactly. Mantle had his uh, vices and all that stuff, and they were well known. Oh yeah, you know, but they kept him as long as they could. So, but you know, it, it's just it's it's impressive. You got any honorable mentions on these at all, or? No, you know, I really, I, like I said, I was scratching my head. I did a little research, uh, yeah. and and somehow until this morning, the Maris one. I, and the funny That's thing crazy. is, yeah. I think, uh, let me see, I think it actually happened because yeah, it was December 11th, so it was uh, 64 years ago yesterday. Oh wow! But I mean, Maris was uh, the the Yankees kind of they, the 59. They were not in the World Series. That was the uh, the White Sox, the uh, hitless wonder whites, the Go Go Sox, I think was their wow. nickname with uh, Louis Aparicio. They, they, you know, small ball. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they lost to the Dodgers in the world series, but yeah, I mean, he Maris brought the Yankees back to prominence. And the other thing is the, the one interesting thing is Mantle for, you know, for his first, maybe 10 years in the major leagues. Sure. They booed, they booed the crap out of him at Yankee yeah. stadium because he was supposed to be the next Joe DiMaggio. And even though he put up some pretty good numbers, he never really, was never no really right. replaced Joe in their hearts. But when when they looked as they when they had that home run race in '61, yeah, they looked at Maris as the outsider, right. And all of a sudden, Mantle became a, a, a the hero, a, the a hero in New York. Yeah. And he, you know, he wore that badge for the the rest of his career. But yeah, I mean, so there, that that was uh, quite the dynamic there as well. You know, coming from the the Boston area and so forth, and finally seeing that movie '61, I didn't know that Mickey Mantle had to live in that shadow of trying to be the next Joe DiMaggio and all that stuff and oh, yeah. all the heels of all that and the pressure that he encountered. And Maris was hated. I remember, I remember watching that movie and if Billy Crystal was pretty good with, you know, facts, facts and facts and, you know, the hate mail that he received and the stuff he didn't tell his teammates that was going on with his family and stuff. I mean, these are things that you don't read about. These are things yeah. you don't hear about until, you know, somebody decides to make a movie 35, 40 years later about what happened. And, you know, stuff is true, and you look back like, "Whoa!" Like this yeah, is incredible. There was a huge backstory with that whole thing. Yeah, that was unbelievable. He was losing his hair. He said, "Oh yeah, yeah." And Maris, yeah. And me, I mean, Maris and Mantle were like polar opposites. Although I think they actually shared an apartment during the season. There was a lot of hype in the movie. They did, yeah. Along. In the movie, but, they did. Yeah, yeah, but they they actually did get along. I mean, uh, Maris was a family man. He had four kids, and uh, I think in yep. Raytown, Missouri. Yep. And uh, Mantle, I mean, Mantle had kids too, but Mantle was Mantle. I mean, he was, you know, he was the playboy. It's almost you like, know. reminds me of the Babe Ruth days, you know? Yeah. Babe Ruth needed that big city limelight, needed to get out and be out and be noticed and all that stuff. And Maris, Maris hated it, but yeah, yet yeah. He, he thrived. I mean, it, it cost him a lot, but yeah. 
That's incredible. Well, great list you comprised here. The player coming through again yeah. with a beautiful script. So what's on the docket for this week? we got a couple other broadcasts coming up. Yeah, we got uh, Wrestling Remembered tomorrow. Yep. We got some um, good stuff I, coming I have uh, Dan and Benny in the ring uh, tonight in about, what, another hour and a half. And we have uh, wrestling historian George Shire, who's been on our show a number of times. George Shire, yeah. George funny. Shire, great guy. And, wow. I mean, you talk about somebody who knows the AWA backwards wow. and forwards. And, I mean, wrestling in general, but just a, a great guy. And I'm going to chat about a couple of current uh, – topics and see what his take is on that because we're nice. always interested on in, in his opinion and then now you uh, guys go, you guys go live with that right no actually we're good we're gonna it's taped it'll okay. be it'll be on uh, uh audio Podbean okay. later tonight and then okay. uh you the money and the pharaoh uh youtube channel tomorrow yeah. and then uh, of course <laughs> we got to talk about the 30 on thursday because the in 30. my opinion joe <laughs> it, it was the the 30 screw job last week <laughs> I, I, I really, love the bill of that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the December screw job. What happened there? That was, and that's two thing. weeks in a row. I mean, yeah, you were like, you were on the press, but you were on the verge of winning the whole thing. I'm just going to be the SD Jones of that show. That's you all. Went, but you didn't even go to the well once too often. <laughs> unlike, unlike, I mean, you went to the well the appropriate number of times. I think you know. We somebody, ran out uh, of, when you, it was, it's called running out of TV time. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I just like I said, I think you did a great job, and you could you could rightly be wearing the crown right now. Well, let's see what happens on Thursday, but we'll be looking forward to all the other podcasts and stuff. All right, Benny, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show. Thank you for preparing today's script. I know you do a lot of um, research with this stuff. Pleasure. Great stuff. We have everybody. Fun. Thank you for tuning in. If you're uh, watching this, thank you for your support and so forth. We are. What a day, Joe and the player. This has been the Line Drive Baseball Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.